believe the Lord's still saying, speaking that phrase to us, trust me. Trust me. Lean on me. Count on me. Look to me. Rely on me. Trust. Trust me. Have you ever been to that place in your life where it just dawned on you in all capital letters that trusting on yourself was doomed to failure? Sooner or later, you run into something that was too big for you to figure out, too steep to climb, too deep to be able to swim through. It's really a gift when we hit those places because that's, that's one less option that we know we have. I can't count on myself for everything. There is one I can trust in. There is one I can lean on. And he says to us today, wherever we are in our lives, a brand new Christian somebody who's known the Lord for several years, somebody who may be decades old in your faith. And the circumstances of life change, they morph, they twist, they whirl. They don't stay the same. And so regardless of the season we're in, there's still that steady appeal from the heart of the Savior to us today. I don't believe it's with a scowl on his face. I don't believe it's with a look of sternness, and if we don't, we're going to be in big trouble with him. It's, it's just that look of strength and that look of hope on his face and that look of confidence in his eyes, if we could see them. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. We started... We turned a page and we started working down through that page last week of trust me to make a way when there seems to be no way. But I didn't feel like we got finished with that. There was one particular passage of scripture, actually a story out of the book of Acts that when that first began to work in my heart, I was drawn to this passage and just feel like we need to make sure we come back to it today. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open your copy of the Scripture to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts and chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Trust me, the Lord would say to us, to make a way when there seems to be no way. Trust me to make a way. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church, this is in Jerusalem, in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, one of the two sons of thunder, as Jesus had named them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. 
And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, the putting to death of James, one of the leaders of the church, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. That was during the days of unleavened bread, just prior to the actual Passover observance in the spring. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers. There were four soldiers per squad, so that's 16 soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. Why did he pick Simon Peter? We can look back and we realize that Simon Peter was, was one of the leaders of the church, spokesman for the church, but how did Simon Peter get to be that? And why would he be deemed a threat to the religious system that was so anti-Jesus when Simon Peter had been known to them as the one who denied that he even knew Jesus three times? the night of the trial of Jesus, leading into the trial, leading into the crucifixion. I don't even know the man and attach the strength of that statement to some oaths to declare in no uncertain terms, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm not connected with, this, with that man. I don't know him. How in the world did Simon Peter get from the place of a coward the place of a champion for the cause of Christ. Let me just insert this. When the Lord says, trust me to make a way when there seems to be no way, he would want us to understand you can trust me to make a way when your reputation is linked to my reputation. You can trust me to make a way when the purpose for your life is linked to my purpose for life. Trust me to make a way when your reputation is linked to my reputation. Go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Jesus has been crucified, buried. He's been raised again on the third day. He's no longer dead. The ones who would be the most key witnesses to that event are now gathered in what they call the upper room, 120 or so of them, men and women. Now get this. They had seen Jesus crucified. They had to have some degree of understanding as to why he was crucified. He was dying on the cross in payment for the sins of the world. He was being punished for the sins of the world so that those who would believe in Jesus would not have to have that own punishment, that punishment within themselves, Jesus took it for them. They understood that he died on the cross 
that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day. But what Jesus knew they wouldn't have, even knowing those things, even knowing those truths, those facts of the gospel, and knowing within themselves that they didn't have this one thing Jesus knew they didn't have. They did what he said that they were to do, to wait until they were clothed with power from on high. They had forgiveness. They had a home in heaven. But what they didn't have was power to stand and power to be the witnesses for Jesus that they would be called to be. And so Jesus says, he gives them the instruction, Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then you shall be my witnesses. I'm not sending you out until this happens to you. You know I died for you. You know I was buried. You know I've been raised, 1 Corinthians 15. That is the gospel in which we stand. But what you don't have, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you power. Now, folks, I just want to challenge you to open your heart up to the scripture at that point. I'm not asking you to open yourself up or stay open to certain traditions of interpretation of the scripture. I'm just wanting you to open yourself up and be, be thrilled and blessed by what, what the scripture says he intends for his church to walk in, for you and me to walk in. The reason we even know Simon Peter's name as it relates to the church of Jesus Christ is because something happened to him. Something or somebody, in a sense, was given to him that transformed his whole experience. It wasn't what he knew nearly as much as what he experienced in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here, look at chapter 2, Acts 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, the 120. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them, symbols of the Old Testament, manifestations of the Holy Spirit coming in power, coming in endowment for strength and, and ability, the wind and fire, the wind and fire, expressions of the breath of God and the life of God, the Spirit of God. And they were all filled, verse 4. Filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. The other tongues were other languages. That's, that's the only way you can interpret that. Ability, they were given the ability to speak in languages that they didn't have prior to this. 
Well, for what person? For, 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 for what reason? Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. That was the miracle of it. It was these people who didn't have the ability to speak in certain languages, certain foreign languages, now were given the ability to speak in those particular languages for the purpose of folks who were in the city in Jerusalem at that time whose native tongue was a particular dialect, and they started hearing these things about Jesus. They start hearing these things about the great works of God in the language that was native to them. The miracle was... The ability to praise the Lord and speak boldly for him and speak clearly about Jesus in a language that was not native to them. Okay, that, that's the miracle at that point. And they were amazed and marveled, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? It'd be like probably somebody from South Alabama or deep South Mississippi going up to Wall Street in New York, walking along and talking and carrying on a discussion and expecting not to be discovered. You know, or like somebody from up there coming way down here and walking the streets of the deep south or the streets of San Antonio and not be expecting to, you're not from Dallas. You, 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 are, you, are, not from, you, you, are, you are not from Houston. You're, you must be from somewhere else. It, it, this was so unique. The accent that the Galileans had was so profound and so pronounced that it affected other languages that they spoke. Like me trying to do a little... Spanish on you this morning. I'm not, <laughs> you know what a waste of time that would be for all of us. But that, that, was the, that was the point here. What are these, how are these people who have this Galilean accent able to talk in the language that's my home native tongue? And, and, and the things that they're saying, what, what is this that they're saying? And then he lists all the different nationalities that were there. And you can see them there in verses 9 and 10 and 11. Verse 12, and they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were saying, were mocking and saying, they're full of sweet wine. They're just drunk. And then enter Simon Peter. Simon Peter. Really the last time that we, we know of him in any kind of a public event in Jerusalem, he's not standing up for Jesus. He's, he's denying that he even knows Jesus. But something happened between the last scene in Herod's courtyard and under the high priest's courtyard and this day of Pentecost. Something happened inside Simon Peter. Not that he believed anything differently. He knew Jesus. He believed in Jesus. He understood the power of the cross to set him free. But there was something different working inside him. What was it? And he's fixing to explain it. Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. It's too early in the morning to get drunk. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, Old Testament prophet. And he quotes Joel. Now, folks, he, he doesn't have a teleprompter. He doesn't have a copy of the Old Testament. He doesn't have handwritten notes. Out of his spirit now. 
out of that which God had put within him by the power of the Spirit, he's quoting Scripture verbatim and making clear application to the meaning of Old Testament passages. He quotes Joel, it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit upon all mankind, all kinds of mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, not just so much foretelling the future, that was a minor point of the Old Testament prophesying. Most of the time, it was just speaking the heart of God into a situation. Just saying, this is where God stands. This is what grieves the Lord. This is what honors the Lord. Hear the heart of the Lord. He's saying that in this time, your sons and your daughters will be doing that. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Verse 21, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, he continues. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, what happened to him was no accident. The events in his life were not just the circumstantial result of a social upheaval. It was planned. It was designed. It was predetermined. This Jesus and all things related to him. This one you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And you better talk about a statement. It was him. Death wasn't strong enough to hold Jesus Christ in the grave. Death gave way to a greater power. This Jesus, this Jesus, this Jesus. So go skip all the way over verse 32. He's winding it down now. This Jesus. This coward Simon Peter. This one who checked out even to the point of denying with an oath that he even knew Jesus. Folks, look at what's happened to him. Look where he's standing. Look who he's rising to the defense of. Look who he doesn't give a flip who's listening to him in terms of what their authority might be. He's got something he's got to say, and he's got to say it about the lover of his soul and the one who bought him with his blood and who now owns his heart. This is the cry of a man who loves his God. There's nothing shy about that. There's nothing weak about that. Power in it. <laughs> Excuse me. There's power. This Jesus, verse 32. This Jesus, he says, God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. We've seen him alive from the dead. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father 
the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 37, and when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, change your conclusion, think differently with regard to this Jesus of Nazareth. Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 39 continues on the thought outlined in that last clause of verse 38. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. Now, now, now Bible studying Believers, you have looked at this passage a lot. What is the promise? What is the promise referred to here? Be careful in your answer. Because sometimes we're led to believe that the promise was the promise of the cross. The promise of the shed blood of Jesus. The promise of the forgiveness of sins. Yes, those things were promised. Yes, that is, those are gifts to us. But what he's speaking of here is the promise of the Holy Spirit moving into and upon the life of the believer to fill you up with God's power and God's heart and God's joy and God's purpose for your life. And he said, is this promise just for a few people? Is it just for a few preachers? Is it just for Mother Teresa? Is it just for the Pope? Is it just for some high-ranking official in some denomination, Peter makes it expressly clear. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, way away from God, thousand miles away from morality, if you want to call it that kind of far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call unto himself. Well, what is he calling to that we would know forgiveness, that we would know the washing and the cleansing of, of the blood of Jesus for our sins, but also that we would know what it is to be clothed with power from on high, that we will have received that which we could not earn, but that which is a gift. But you shall, Jesus said, I don't want you running off around the world trying to evangelize the world until this happens to you. It's not enough just for you to have a plan of evangelism, a plan of sharing. The plan won't do any good unless there's power. I'm, I'm, I know I'm hollering and screaming and spitting. But it's the truth, folks. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, the church. And then you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the most part of the earth. Now, the reason that's the case is, I'm glad you asked the question. 
Find chapter 4. We're continuing to build Simon Peter's reputation here. He, he, he's walking. He and John are walking into the temple. You remember the story. Day of Pentecost has happened. They're walking and living with a new kind of confidence in who Jesus is and the reality of his presence and the authority that they know is carried by his name. And they go up to the temple to worship, to pray. On their way in, there's a lame man begging. He stops them. They make eye contact. Simon Peter looks into his soul and says, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And the man stood up. Peter was raising him. He stood up, realizing that he could stand and stay standing. Says he started walking. And he started leaping. And then he just busted loose with praising God. Well, everybody knew him. So many who came to worship, they knew this man. They knew he'd been there for all these years. Over 40 years of life was his age. And a crowd gathered. Chapter 4, Peter begins to answer. At the end of chapter 3, Peter begins to answer their, their questions. And verse 11, three, chapter 3, 11, while he was clinging, while the man who had just been healed was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them. In the, in the so-called portico of Sodom, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made them well? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus the one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact of which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in that name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through faith in him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. So the crowd, big crowd, Peter's saying all that. Then they start wanting to know, how do we receive this Jesus? How do we make it right with what we have done? We accused him. He was put to death for our sins how can we know that forgiveness? How can we know what you're talking about? And Peter gives them instructions. And there were about 5,000 more people. 5,000 more people that gave their hearts to Jesus Christ, warning what Simon Peter was. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. A few days later, here we got 5,000 folks wanting to come to faith in Christ and receive Jesus. It wasn't about a religious system. There was no church to join. There was no ritual to follow through. There was no set of sacraments to follow. It was just pure and simple and only J-E-S-U-S, -S, period. That's it. 
Folks, listen. Just got to say it. Don't you, don't, you, don't you make the mistake of mixing up Jesus with the church. Jesus is pure. Jesus is holy. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is absolute love. The church is made up of people who, who in one way or another, are finding their way to the Lord. And if it's a true church, seeking the Lord and wanting to honor the Lord Jesus. But the church is made up of imperfection in the process of being moved into more of a holy and pure and decent way of living. But there's no process with Jesus. He's already there. So when our aim is at him, when our faith is in him and our trust is in him and we're seeking from him, then we don't find the disappointment that we get when we start looking laterally at the church. Get this. Remember, never forget this. Jesus is here. The church is here. Jesus is this way. The church is this way. Don't put the church in the place that it's not yet there. One day we'll be up there. You keep your eyes on Jesus, and you won't get far off the trail. You, you won't mess up bad if your eyes are on Jesus. And this was a religious system a religion that, that had rejected Jesus. And, and, and the thing that's amazing is they called Simon Peter and John in, and this, the, the same group that interrogated Jesus a few months or a couple of years, whenever this would be, a few months probably earlier, now that same group is interrogating Peter and John. The same ones who were in an earthly sense responsible for fomenting the plot to have Jesus crucified now have their talons and their fangs focused on these two men. Now why didn't they just check out? Why didn't they just run? Why didn't in that moment, folks, listen, why didn't in that moment Simon Peter deny him again? It's because something had happened to Simon Peter. Better yet, somebody had come to fill Simon Peter. Instead of it being Jesus out there that we want to copy, want to emulate, want to, want to, try, to try to do as he did, it changes. It's no longer Hallelujah. It's no longer Jesus on the outside. It's no longer God on the outside with standards that we'll never live up to on our own. Now it is the indwelling presence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ alive and working in power inside this chest and inside this brain. The promise is for you and for all your children. And to as many as would call upon the name of the Lord. I'm just saying, church, don't sell yourself short. Don't settle for less. I know this sounds almost heretical. But if all you know is Jesus in the power of forgiveness, you know him in the cross. There's been the work of the Spirit to bring you to the place of understanding what he did for you. Your heart has responded to what he's shown you. That is one thing. The endowment with power to boldly, joyfully, consistently represent Jesus 
is something beyond just knowing that your sins are forgiven and you have a home in heaven. No, no. And some folks say, well, then that just means, Pastor, you're saying everybody's got to speak in tongues or everybody's got to fall out. I did not say that. Don't put that in my mouth. I didn't say it because I don't believe the Bible teaches that. The 3,000 that were saved on the day of Pentecost, that came to Christ on the day of Pentecost, nowhere in that remaining section of that chapter in Acts, Acts chapter 2, or anywhere else in the book of Acts, does it say that that particular group in Jerusalem copied or had happened to them the same thing that happened to the 120? The 120, many of them given the ability to speak in languages they didn't know that they were speaking in, as they were glorifying the Lord and giving honor to Christ. But nowhere does it say that the only way you're going to know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit is if you've spoken in some unknown tongue. Prove it from the Scripture. And I may be talking to some preachers out there. Prove it, dude, in the Scripture. Because it will not pass muster. Let me tell you, here, here's, here is the, here, here's, here, here's how you know. And here's how the Sanhedrin knew. Peter, they, they call him in, okay? They call him in. It says in verse 13, or back, let me read four. When they had placed them, verse 7, in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Has this man been healed? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone. Here he goes quoting scripture without a Bible to read. He is the stone which the builders which rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And listen to this. And there is salvation. Peter's speaking this to these highfalutin religious authorities worried that their system is being infiltrated upon. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Next sentence. Are you ready for the test? Here's the test of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Here's the test. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. Folks, you want to know what the test is of being filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus? It's what Jesus said 
in Acts 1.8. It's what is repeated here. But you shall receive power. You shall receive boldness. You shall receive courage. You shall receive authority. Once the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. The word is eyewitnesses. And you won't be telling about something that happened to somebody else way off out yonder. You will be giving an eyewitness account of what the living Jesus has done and continues to do in your life. And if they don't believe it, it doesn't change a thing that you know in you. They can tell you you're crazy. They can tell you you're all wet. They can tell you you're, you know, you're just so lightweight intellectually. It won't phase you. Because you are giving a witness of what has happened and continues to happen in you by the power of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, folks, you can't train somebody in that. You can't beat somebody into doing that. That is something that God, in the power of his Holy Spirit, has to give. It's bequeathed. It's granted to the Christian's heart. The result is boldness. Bold, not just that, well, I ought to be bold, I ought to be bold. Listen, if you're talking to yourself about how you ought to be bold, you ain't bold. Excuse my grammar there. I just ought to be bold. I just ought to be bold. That, that's not the point. The point is not that we ought to be something. The point is that we're enabled to be something. And that's what this is about. When they observe the confidence, the boldness, the bravery of Peter and John, especially... If any of them had run into Peter before Pentecost in the courtyard as Jesus was about to be crucified, denying, checking out, refusing to admit any kind of relationship. And now he's saying, let there be no doubt where the power came from for this man to get well. The power came from none other and by means of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, look, folks, from, from, the, from that point all the way till we work our way a few four more chapters, get to 12, get to chapter 12, find that real quick. Peter has established and continues to establish his reputation as having a reputation that is linked to the reputation of Jesus. Now, folks, I know we're not all you know, we're not all called to stand behind a, a cross or on a platform on Sunday to do, to do what we do. But where God has put you, where he has opened the doors for you to work, where he's opened the doors and, and established relationships in your family, if we're wanting him, think with me. If we're wanting to, with confidence, be able to lean on him, to trust him, to make a way, whatever the definition of way means, when there seems to be no way, it's a big deal if we have it working in our hearts that, Lord, to the best of my ability, I have sought to link my reputation to your reputation. Therefore, as Jesus said, if they hated me, John 15, if they hated me, Jesus, don't be surprised that they'll hate you. 
they didn't hear my word, they won't hear yours either. The reputation among those who hate God, where you work, or in your family, or in your circle of old friends or acquaintances, when your reputation is linked to his reputation, there could be some fire. There could be some resistance. There could even be some things that the brokers of power, controlling in a sense the circumstances of your life, would try to leverage against you. But even then, let's just read the rest of the story. When it looked inevitable, when it looked inevitable, Herod had just had James, the brother of John, one half of the sons of thunder, a leader in the church, put to death arbitrarily. His only crime was that he was a leader of this group who were saying that Jesus is the Messiah. He did it in order to please the religious system, and it pleased him. And so he saw that and said, if they like that, I bet they'll like this too. Go get Simon Peter. It seemed inevitable that Simon Peter's fate would be the same as James. The church was stricken with concern and natural kinds of fear. What's, what's coming? What's befalling us? And they did what the church does. When there's a threat of all hell breaking loose, the church met and they prayed. They prayed. When the church doesn't know anything else to do, the church prays. Even when the church may know some other things that might be good options, the church understands the importance of pouring our hearts out before the Father. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in the prison. But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, that would be the night before, the very night before, meaning Simon Peter had been locked up. He had been in prison with an unknown fate to him, maybe for a few nights, several nights. But on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that very interesting in the Scripture. Now, may the peace of God rule in your hearts. Be anxious for nothing. Got a soldier here, got a soldier here, I got chains, got a bar, gate. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything with prayer and supplication, with asking, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Simon Peter sound asleep, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, An angel of the Lord suddenly appeared. 
and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and roused him, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself. Put on your sandals. You don't put your sandals on if you're going to stay in a prone position. Put your sandals on your feet. We're getting out of here. Gird yourself, put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, the angel said to Peter, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision, thought he was having a dream. And when they had passed the first and second guard, remember there were 16 soldiers assigned to guard him. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Now when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, and look at this next phrase, and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Folks, listen, there's nothing inevitable that would stand against God's plan for you, God's timing for you. There's nothing inevitable with God, except that which he intends to accomplish for his own. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, and many were gathered there praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, and when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. And they said to her, you were out of your mind. We were just praying that specific prayer. Don't you know that couldn't happen that quick? That wasn't, that's not in there, but you were out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. I'd have gone to check out the angel, you know, if it had been his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison and he said, report these things to James. This James is different than the James who had been put to death earlier. There was another James, and scholars believe this is one of the half-brothers of Jesus that instead of being a denier and a critic and a cynic, had come to faith in Christ. And scholars report that he came to one of his nicknames, this particular James, in the early church. He came to be known as Old Camel Knees. Old camel knees, and it's because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer that the calluses on both knees literally look like that of a camel's knee. He said, report these things to James and the brethren, and he departed and went to another place. Peter left. And when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. And when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Sixteen guards put to death 
because of Peter's escape. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. From this, back, back to verse 11 where Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. The Lord has set apart the godly man for himself, Scripture says. The Lord has set apart the godly woman for himself. That one is going to be one who chooses to link his or her reputation to the reputation of Jesus. There will be times when trial will come, trouble will come, misunderstanding will come, outright cruelty will be vented against that one, very likely, over time, at some point, because the same ones who hate Jesus, the same ones who disdain God, if your reputation is linked to that, that's what you can expect. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. The Lord is concerned about his own reputation. It matters to the Lord that folks understand the truth about who he is. And the truth about Simon Peter is that the Lord wasn't finished with Simon Peter continuing to bear witness of Christ in the culture in which he lived. The Lord wasn't finished with Simon Peter. My brother, my sister, when your reputation, when your purpose is linked to the purpose of Jesus, and that's the determination of your heart, that's the surrender of your life, you're going to be here no matter if Herod doesn't like you, no matter if the Sanhedrin doesn't like you, no matter if you've got four squads of soldiers set to guard you and the executioner is sharpening his sword. You're going to be here until God has finished with his plan for you. Others will come and go. Others will come and leaders, high and mighty, strong family voices and mouths and personalities will one day be silent. But the Lord's woman, the Lord's man, whose reputation is linked to his reputation will last. You see, at the time that this was going on, Peter hadn't even had time to, to write the letters to First and Second Peter, of First and Second Peter. Let me tell you this. I believe this is true. When the Lord spares you, he keeps you, his work is not finished with you, then the work that you will continue to do will somehow be an expression of what he has shown you, of what he has proven to you. Other people are going to need to know that. The second part of that is it will outlast, it will be bigger than your lifetime. It will go beyond you. That which the Lord does in you proves to you is real. You speak it or you write it, as Peter did, and that truth will outlive you. I love this. 
First Peter chapter 4. This is Peter. Beloved, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Chapter 5, verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares, all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Herod and the Sanhedrin just didn't realize that God wasn't finished with Peter. They threw everything they could throw at him so that it looked as if there was no way. To which the Lord says to Peter, and he says to us, trust me to make a way when there seems to be no way. You know, just for one split second, wouldn't you just love for the Lord to maybe open our eyes so that we could see who else is in this room. You speak of, Hebrews speaks of that great cloud of witnesses. For every one fallen angel, there were two that didn't fall. He sends forth his angels to minister to and care for those who will inherit salvation. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who trust in him to deliver them. Sometimes it seems like we're by ourselves. Sometimes it seems like there's nobody else with us in the dark. Sometimes it seems like we're, there's no one that we can see that's in the room when we're facing the things that we face. But that's not the truth, that the angels weren't there. Jesus himself is there. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Trust me. You see that smile on his face? You see that gleam in his eye? Trust me to make a way when there seems to be no way. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for getting it written down for us and preserving for us all these centuries that we could read this story about Simon Peter 
and about the angel and about the gates opening and the chains falling off and all that was contained in that amazing account of your rescuing and caring for a man whose reputation was tied to your reputation by the power of your spirit at work in his life. Lord, I ask you to fill us with your spirit freshly. I thank you for the teaching in the New Testament that there were many fillings of the Holy Spirit, not just once at Pentecost, Acts 4. You filled them again. The place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They went out speaking the word of Jesus boldly. Lord, where we've lost our boldness, please forgive us and please fill us. We've grown distracted to other things. Lord, would you please fill us with your spirit and bring us back to the focus you'd have us to be. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. Thank you for saying to us so faithfully and so strongly, trust me. We are better for that, Lord. We are better for that because of your word to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.